Hello, it's Josephine Lang-Huber here, your performing arts business coach, talent manager, speaker, and mentor. Today, I'm going to be talking about something that I believe is a chronic problem in the performing arts industry, and that is suffering from the struggling artist syndrome. Uh, The problem is that we don't know how to uh, value ourselves sometimes because we're just so passionate about the art and the creation and the the giving of our of our energy and the experience that we you know that we give to others and we enjoy you know receiving the applause or the accolades or potentially just the the reward itself you know is our students for example being on stage and and just loving that whole process so much that sometimes we forget uh, that we don't have to do it for free anymore. Uh, So, you know, I'm going to get a bit personal in this episode because I feel like I'm seeing it so often and even now post-COVID and during this this high inflation period and with the cost of living going up, you know, there's going to be a lot of people wanting us to bend the rules. They're going to be trying to avoid payment, uh, all of that. But at the end of the day, I can give you all the systems in the world, but unless you believe it in your core and you overcome your money blocks and you move past this feeling of unworthiness or self-doubt when it comes to receiving money for your art, then unless you can move past that, then any system I give you or or that you get from someone else or whatever or that you read about or pay for or whatever is going to be absolutely redundant because you need to believe that you have the power to make a choice when it comes to what you're paid, how you're paid, when you're paid and the process around that emotionally. Okay. So I'm quite passionate about this topic. Um, and we're going to, we're going to get into that. So let's take a leap into the show. Here we go. Hey there, I'm Josephine Lankuba and you're listening to business arts and all that jazz. I've been immersed in the creative business world and performing arts industry for over 20 years. I know from experience that being an artist, a creative or running a creative business can be a tough gig but I'm here to tell you it's possible. I went from having zero dollars to my name and living below the poverty line, to then living paycheck to paycheck, to finally living a life of comfort, happiness, passion, and even stability. In this podcast, I peel back the curtain and share with you the ups and downs of my journey. Plus, I tap into the minds of creative industry experts to discover their paths to success. I know you have a spark inside of you, that little voice that tells you to reach for the stars. I want to help you step into your limelight to have the courage to live a life you dream of, a life that you design. So get ready to be entertained and inspired as we talk business, arts, and all that jazz. Hello, hello, hello. It's, what time is it today for me? It's nine, nearly 9 a.m., 
in Sydney, Australia here, and I am in my office with my microphone and you. And I really, every week I I think about the topics that I'm going to talk about. I mean, I have a list. I have a topic list that I pull from. So whenever I have an idea, I think, oh, pop that in the cloud on my list, right, in my Google Drive. Um, And this is one that I've had on the list for a while. And then this morning, sometimes it's organic. Like sometimes I'll know, you know, weeks before, days before what I'm going to record. But today I just thought, nah, I'm going to talk about this. Uh, And I feel like it's a really important topic. Now, you know, from my intro, I say very openly that I went from living below the poverty line to living paycheck to paycheck to finally living a life of, you know, of financial stability and abundance, I suppose. Um, and, And I want you to know that I am with you when I talk about this and I'm not minimizing the reality of the starving artist and I'm not minimizing what it is to be poor or the feeling that that brings up asking people for money or the worthiness around that. I'm not minimizing that because I know deeply what that feels like, deeply. I mean, I actually feel quite emotional talking about it because especially when you've come from an environment where you've struggled. And for me, growing up, I actually grew up with parents that, you know, ran businesses. Um, My grandparents were actually known to be quite wealthy in the area. Um, But what happened was that family, and when I talk about wealth, I'm not talking about, you know, castles. I'm talking about, you know, comfortable um, grandparents came from overseas, worked really hard, you know, worked in the fruit markets, built a name for themselves, um, ran their own businesses, selling, you know, fresh produce and all of this sort of stuff and were known in the local community, donated to the church, really proud, proud Italians, okay, that built up their wealth over time. But unfortunately, over years of, um, you know, they passed away, that money was passed down, the home was passed down, we were comfortable for a while. But unfortunately what happened was domestic abuse, divorce um, and a lot of family toxicity in my home growing up. And so that led to the demise of our wealth, right? And so, and again, we're not living in a castle here, we're living in the burbs in a decent house that, you know, was paid off and all the bits. But by the time I was 13, I was out of home. So family relationships had broken down. You know, like I said, I was in a domestic abusive um, scenario as a child. It was pretty horrible. Um, And actually, I talk about this in a a touch of it, actually, in my book, um, which is co-written with a bunch of other beautiful women. It's called The Women Changing the World. And and um, I actually talk about a, a few snippets of that abuse in there in my chapter. So if that's something that you're interested in, you can grab a copy of that. And that's josephinelancuba.com forward slash books. And that book actually um, was a number one bestseller on Amazon and held that position for quite some time. So anyway, look, that's not what this episode is about, but I thought I may as well share that. So if you wanted to find a little bit about me and my story and be inspired by that, 
um, then, yeah, check out The Women Changing the World and you can grab that on my website. But I guess the point is here, honestly, I feel as though, you know, coming from that background and having to fend my, for myself at 13, 14, 15 and really just being out on my own in the world, um, and there was a time I think when I was about 15 where I lived with my mum again for a few months and then I lived with my dad for a month or two and then I was back out at 16. Like it was just it was just turbulent, right? Um, so, so I know what it is to really have no money. I mean I was working and paying rent as a teenager and go and t- bringing myself to school, by the way, I was still sending myself to school. I didn't finish my HSC, which in, in Sydney is, you know, the final grading and exam for year 12, the final year, um, which is what you need if you want to go to university and get a degree in particular things, whatever. Um, I didn't do that. I quit six months before just cause I was scared to do the exam and I didn't have any role models that could encourage me or support me through that normal teenage angst and 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 fear. Uh, so I didn't do my HC, which is fine. You know, here I am and I'm totally fine. But, um, yeah, so I feel as though I know what it is to truly have no money. I mean, I literally was going to, to these um, Salvation Armies and, like, these charities getting food stamps, literally, uh, just to get by, especially when I was trying to live the dream in Melbourne. I went to Melbourne, I was like studying full time and I was working, I was paying rent, I was working $10 an hour. I mean, like I was doing anything, waiting tables, you named it. I had a dream and I wasn't going to let anything get in my way. Um, and I actually talk, again, I talk about this in the book a bit where, um, Yeah, I had a family member actually who I saved all this money for my trip to Melbourne um, where I was going to study full-time dance and and theatre and uh, I saved all this money, worked my butt off at $10 an hour, you know, saving I think what was $1,000 and for me that was a lot of money. I was young. I was 19, 18, 19. And, and yeah, a family family member borrowed the money before I left and never paid it back so I ended up with $70 in my pocket when I got to this new state, um, so I had no money, didn't even know how I was going to make the rent. Like I had nothing. I had a bean bag. Okay. Um, so, you know, it's amazing the sacrifices we will make for our art financially just to be in it, just to do it, right? Just to be a part of it. It is amazing what we as artists will sacrifice for what we love. And like I said, I was, I was there with $70 in a new state as a, as a young woman with a bean bag, not knowing how I was going to make the rent because I had a dream and I was going to be a performing artist and I was going to do anything it took. So bean bag, $70 and all. I was going to do whatever it took. But we must remember that 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 sort of passion and that vulnerability and that desperation to make it is something that is reserved for a period of time. For me, it was reserved for my youth. To be honest, it went a little too far. 
I actually did a post recently on my Instagram uh, page where I share a photo of when I was in like the top 40 of Australian Idol when it first came out. I'll never forget. And I was so desperate to make it. I've been, oh gosh, I've been top 40 Australian Idol X Factor. Like I've been on the stage of um, Australia's Got Talent. Like I've done all of it, believe me. And it was funny because I kept auditioning year on year. I never made it to the finals, right? I never made it to the finalist position, but I made it pretty far. And like I said, I've got this this picture of me and, and Ricky Lee and who was Andrew G at the time, <laughs> the hosts of um, Australian Idol back in the day. And they've just done a revamp here in Australia actually in that show, which is why I shared it because I was like, oh, my God, how funny, how funny. But um, I was so desperate back then. Like I was just I would do anything to make it. And I would audition year on year because I, I I was I would get far. I'd make it into the, you know, the final top 10, the 20, blah, blah. But I never made it onto the stage to the final rounds where you get the big televised moment and, yeah, like you're, you're a superstar, right? And I just wanted to be a rock star, you know. Uh, I, I wanted to be a rock star, man. Like so what? I, and, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Like that's what the arts is, right? You, you have a dream. So I always say that my tale is one of being almost famous, which is fine, right? Because I love what I do and I love where I am. But at the time, it just felt super dire. But, you know, how long can you do that for? I feel like that we're still doing that in our studio businesses. I feel like that we're still doing that as grown ass humans, you know, like, that was my youth, my 20s even, like even up to probably 30, 31, 32. I was still like still living the dream, you know, want to be rock star. But I was gigging at least at that time and I was getting paid to be on stages and I was work. I was a working artist at that point. But even then, I mean, I was still not getting paid much. I think performers are getting what they got paid 10 years ago. It's ridiculous. It's the only wage that never goes up, right? So I feel like we're bringing that starving artist syndrome into our studios with our clients and we're doing it in the way of hey this I'm being the client now hey I can't pay you this week is it cool if I pay you next week yeah it's so fine no problems yeah no dramas next week comes you don't even want to ask for it you feel like you can't even ask for it like you're the bad guy now because they've now not paid you that following week as promised that following month that following term so all of a sudden they were the bad guy at first they felt bad but now you're the bad guy because you're asking for it so this is whatever your money blocks are from your past for me it's growing up in a place where I really struggled and I thrived on the hustle and the struggle because when I hustled I got a result so I have this money block that I need to hustle sometimes and that I don't I'm not worthy of the money that I can I can live thrifty I'm okay I can I can make it I can live on a shoestring and I can I'm the only person I know like in my family that and my sisters are the same but uh, you know other people around like when I open the cupboard I see things to cook with my husband he grew up comfortably and so you should but he grew up comfortably. He opens the cupboard. He's like, oh, what am I supposed to make? There's nothing here. Like, what do you mean? I can see a can of beans. I can see some rice that I can boil. We've got some olive oil, salt, and I've got some garlic in the, in the fridge. 
I've got myself a rice dish. Do you know what I mean? I've got a can of tuna, I've got an onion and I've got a cucumber. Got myself a salad. Bit of salt, I'm good to go. Like I can make it from anything. If I've got flour, milk and egg, I've, I'll make anything. I remember my daughter wanted a pizza the other day. I had some Lebanese bread, some flatbread. I had no sauce. I had a tomato that I put in the blender. I put tomato in the blender with a bit of salt, put a bit of oil, drizzled it and made her a fresh pizza with fresh tomato because that's all I had in the cupboard. And I'm like, and that's just being time poor now. I can afford groceries, guys. I promise I'm not getting food stamps anymore. But I am like, she's like, oh, but we don't have, I said, we have it. I can make it. I got this. Like, that's cool in a kitchen sense. But if you're still doing that in your business, I am speaking to my coaching clients 20 years on from opening their studio, 10 years on, five years on, that are not paying themselves a wage. This is conversations that I'm having with coaching clients right now. They're not paying themselves a wage. They are not paying themselves superannuation. For us in Australia, superannuation for, I don't know, 401k in the States, whatever, it's basically your retirement fund, which you should be contributing to. So, you know, I'm speaking to studio owners who are begging their clients, begging their clients or avoiding their clients for payment. Now, this was me. I want you to understand this. The reason I'm I'm sharing this with you is because this was me when I first opened my studio, okay? And it was only really about, I reckon, near the beginning of COVID when I realized we had to do things differently. So about three or so years now, you know, I've introduced systems like direct debit. I've introduced um, immutable laws that I live by in my business. So I have seven immutable laws. Um, one of them was inspired by Mike McCallowitz. Um, he's the writer of Profit First. And one of my immutable laws, which sounds really harsh, and I train to the team as well, is called blood money. So we treat money like blood. Without it, our business would die. We treat it with the utmost care and respect by considering the financial impacts our decisions make to the collective. Money matters. So that is one of my my immutable laws, which is basically a core value in my business, which is blood money. And when I say that, I say that because it's memorable. So again, it was inspired by Mike McCallowitz's blood money. And I've just extended that one there. And I've said, you know, that we need to consider the financial impacts of the decisions we make to the collective money matters. So In my um, training sessions that I do at the beginning of each year, our team comes together and we were reminded of our mutable laws. And they always laugh when I say blood money, but, but but they remember it. But what I'm saying is when you make a decision in my business, and this is at, we work together as a community and a collective, but when you make a decision in my business that impacts the bottom line, I am the one, me, the business owner, I am the one that pays for it. Now, what is the impact to the collective? It reduces the revenue of this business, which which puts our wages, your wage as my employee at risk. We are a small business, okay? And we, you know, we're not, we're not a, a multi-million, a hundred million dollar business. So I think in Australia, what do we consider it? Um, I think it's under 10 million cons- uh, for a business is considered small business, whatever. But my point is 
These are messages that not only I have in my own mind, I've put them to paper. I've printed them. I've given a digital copy to my team. I've trained them on it because why should all of the onus be on me as the business owner? People in my business, in my collective as a creative unit, need to understand the implications of their decisions. When they make a creative choice, when they have to, when they make a creative choice without discussion and they say, Oh, yeah, we're going to do three costume changes in this number. Woo. It's going to be great. And then they rehearse all year pretending that there's some three costume changes that has never been discussed. And all of a sudden I'm like, Oh, who's paying for the three costume changes in that number? Me. Oh, okay. See, because that makes an impact. When they use our resources, I have um, what's called an MMC info guide. Um, So it's like a little information guide that parents receive on arrival and they're booklets and they cost money to print. I've seen a coach once in my team throw them in a box and I had that conversation. I said, I just want to remind you about our immutable law. Money matters, blood money. You need to treat this with the most utmost care and respect those booklets may only be a dollar each to print, but imagine all of our coaches on all of our sites treated these booklets like this. We would be throwing away, because you're bending them and you're making them non-usable, we would be throwing away hundreds of dollars worth of stock and that's that's not acceptable and that's not okay. So I want you to remember that these booklets may just be booklets to you, but to me and to this business, They are a selling tool. They cost money. They're also on paper. So, you know, in, in a, in a, um, uh, environmental sense. But, you know, there's a lot at stake when you bend one of my booklets, you know, and that sounds really outrageous and really out there. But my team understands it now. You know, you don't just leave if you're provided with pens for parents to sign to do enrollments and stuff and you just leave the pens lying around to be stolen every week or taken or forgotten. We're buying new pens every week, like even down to those details I train. And that might seem really like tight, tight ass might be the word or really, you know, scroogey, but money matters. Now, I probably see it from that perspective because I've had to care about those details. Like I said, being out on my own as a young person, I respect things, okay? Um, I respect things and I teach my children to respect their goods as well. It's not that we, if we lose them, we're not sad. We we don't have an emotional attachment to our our goods. That's what I teach my kids. Like if they break something, that's okay. We can replace it. It's okay. You're not in trouble for that. But that doesn't mean that we don't try to care and respect for our things. Like today they brought a bucket and gloves to school for clean up school day. And I said, now remember, you need to make sure that you look after them and that when you're finished, you bring your, you pop your gloves back in your bucket and you bring them back home because we can reuse them. Because I bought them specially for this thing. I said, but you know, this costs my money. So I, I want to reuse these goods because we, we paid money for them you know, and why not reuse them and we don't want to lose them at school. So they understand that. The same applies, right? Now, I've talked about team. What about the client? Do you have guidelines in place? 
terms and conditions that are clearly communicated? Do you abide by them? Do you respect yourself enough to stand by your terms? That's the other bit. You you might have terms like you must pay within seven days of invoice. Okay, wonderful. What happens if they don't? What happens? Nothing. You, you're scared to ask them for it. I'm not talking to everybody. I know I'm not trying to patronize everyone out there. I'm sure there are people out there who are solid, that stand their ground, have policies in place and stick to them. Now, I've got a coaching session actually later today with somebody that I'm training on this topic because I did a reel on my Instagram about how my direct debit works. Um, And I think that's actually sparked a bit of interest because I've had a few messages from studio owners now saying, oh, wow, because I I show in the reel how it works and how it just ticks it green like on an automation system and it goes paid, 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 paid. And uh, that got that got studio owners juices flowing and I've had a few messages since and I've got a coaching call today on the t- on how to implement it into one of my clients' businesses. But um and again guys if you if you want to reach out on that feel free to you know contact me and my details are in, in the show notes but you know you can contact me at hello at josephinelancuba.com if you're ever needing some coaching or guidance on that. But my point is like all right so you've got this system in place but what happens? You might even then get to the point where you're like, I'm implementing direct debit. Yeah, I've done it. I'm the best. What happens when people's payments bounce? You'll get a lot less. But what happens when? You And and I have like strategies and systems in place. But it can be really hard to ask people for money. And this comes down to your core beliefs, your core values and your money blocks, your mindset around money. When you come from nothing and struggle, you're used to the struggle. You're used to the grind. You accept less than you should. It took me a long time to overcome that, but finally I have arrived. And there are days, there are days where I find it hard, especially when someone gives you the sad story about, oh, I'm struggling and I'm this and I'm that. We have policies in place that determine the rules. Now I am not, I am not a Grinch by any means. Um, when, you know, we had a beautiful studio, um, student who recently lost their father, a a young girl. And the mother said, look, we're exiting. And we normally have a 30 day exit policy. Now I'm not going to charge them a 30 day exit policy because I ain't that person. Like I understand why they've exited. They're sad. They're struggling. And I'm not going to penalize them for that. That's my discretion. I do make it clear though. See, here's the thing. I will say, look, as you know, we normally have a 30 day exit policy, but given the circumstances, I'm, I'm waiving that for you. I wish you the best. I'm so sorry that's happened to you. And you know, I, I just want to extend my condolences. So I'm going to let them know that I'm waiving that, but it's not the norm. Um, I'm going to let them know that, but. That is what I do. So whenever I make a discretionary decision, I just let them know that it's discretionary. Hey, look, we normally do this, but under your circumstance, I'm going to waive that for you. But I got to tell you that that is not when people say, oh, uh, you know, I've lost my job, but they're still sending them to gymnastics, swimming and cricket. Okay. Why can they pay cricket and not you? Why can they pay gymnastics and not you? 
right? Don't fall for it. Don't fall for the sob story. Just go, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. That's okay. Look, we've got an X amount exit day policy, um, which, you know, does apply to make that fair and reasonable across the board. Um, but you're welcome to use our services up to and including those 30 days up to this date. You know, I wish you all the best. If they try and say, look, I'll pay you in three months, don't accept that. Create a payment plan if you want to. Make sure it's on direct debit. Let's say, oh, gosh, I can't pay you until eight weeks from now. Okay, what can you afford to pay per week? $10? Okay, well, that's all right. That's okay. Or let's Can we make it $20? Okay, because in eight weeks, if we did $20 a week on direct debit, you'd be up to date. Can we, can we, can we agree to that? Great. When they don't, when you have a direct debit system and they don't give you your, the details, we call them and grab them over the phone. If they're not willing to, here's the thing. If they're not willing to give it to you, if they're not willing to pay you, if they're not willing to give you their, their details for your system, which is direct debit potentially or whatever your payment D system is, if they're not willing to do that, then they're not genuine. They have no intention of paying you or they or they want to take you for a ride. To that, I say goodbye because the amount of blood, sweat and tears that went into this bloody industry that we're in, the blood, sweat and tears that I've had, that you've had, you know, why? Why should you put up with that? Oh, makes me mad. Can you tell? <laughs> it boils my blood. It does. I'm sick of it and I don't tolerate it anymore. When people try and dictate the terms of my thing, like when they go, I've had this before. Wow, that's expensive. You're expensive. I <laughs> feel like saying, yes, yes, I am. I'll say, look, I've said this to a client before, actually. Uh, she came for a trial and she said in front of the whole group, oh, you're so expensive. And I went, we don't claim to be the cheapest, but we do claim to be the best. And we stand by our prices. This is the price. I, and then I and I refer them to our info guide, which has our value inclusions. I say we're a high value offer. If you look on page XYZ of our booklet that I've handed to you today, it'll tell you exactly what's included in the price. So, so we stand by that. We're a high value offer. That's it. Take it or leave it, buckarinos. <laughs> Take it or leave it. When you're held for ransom, I've been held for ransom before on, you know, if my child isn't, you know, in this row or playing this role in the show, then I'm not paying you. Then we quit. To that, I say goodbye. I say, oh, I'm so sorry that you feel that way. Look, honestly, you know, um, if we're not the right fit for you at this time, we understand, but we stand by our casting policies. We stand by the fairness in which we've delivered this role to you. We stand by the fact X, Y, Z, that we've made this decision based on, you know, the suitability of where your child is at the moment. We think it's a great role. And if you feel that, you know, we, we don't want to other things that I've said to parents before, you know, I think it's important that we manage our children's expectations. We know as artists, Jesus, if you go to an audition and you get in the chorus of a musical, as a professional, you're cheering. You're like, yeah, man, I'm being paid, right? <laughs> I made it. I made it into the back row of the ensemble of this show. I'm 
freaking rock star, okay? As a professional, we know that to make it into the back corner of the ensemble is like, yeah, man, I made it. I'm here. I have arrived. I am here. I'm being paid. I'm on stage doing what I love and I'm amongst it, right? Parents and kids don't get that, especially this generation. Holy moly. Holy moly, this generation um, doesn't get that. So the arts is a really hard place for this generation and can cause anxiety, depression, and because of that feeling of rejection, because they don't have the resilience of, of older generations. Now I sound like a grandma, but they don't have the resilience. My goodness, you know? So what's my point in all of this? Okay. What are your money blocks? Let's think about it. Let's take a step back. What is blocking you? What are the things you do? You know what you do. Is it that you let people get away without paying you for too long, that you let people get away without paying you at all? Is your prices too low? Are you charging $10 for a dance class? Up your price today. You know, like what are you giving away too much? Are you answering your phone at 11 o'clock at night, working around the clock for minimum wage? If you're on minimum wage, work minimum hours, right? And I know that sounds odd. What I'm saying is if you're not getting paid a full-time wage, then don't work full-time in your business. Work part-time and enjoy your life. Or if you want to earn more money, then think of other ways. Reduce your costs, increase your revenue, increase your, your um, prices, reduce your costs, share your boundaries with your team and what you expect from them so that you are saving costs in your business and that they're not wasting your money and set boundaries with your clients so that they respect you because you deserve it. And do not accept less than being paid. Right? I I can't stress that enough. If they are not paying you, they're taking you for a ride A client who doesn't pay you is not a client at all. That's it. If they haven't paid you in three terms, they're not your, they're not a client. They're on a scholarship. And at that point, you need to decide for your own well-being. Do you want to give them a scholarship? Do they deserve a scholarship? If yes, just give it to them. Because at least then you'll sleep at night not feeling like you're you're you know, you've got a big L on your forehead, like you feel like a big loser and you're not a loser. You're not, but you feel that way. You're like, how can I let them get away with this? And it, and it, and it sits on your back and it makes you feel heavy. If you're going to give it for free, make a decision and give it for free and tell them you're giving it for free, but don't tolerate it. Don't take it, you know, because it makes you sick, makes you stressed and worried. I know, I know this feeling. I know what it is to feel like you don't know how you're going to eat next week. Pay your rent. It's hard, scary, and it hurts. And when my family member didn't, and like I said in the book, The Women Changing the World in that chapter, when my family member didn't give me back that money, I was hurt. They knew I was going interstate with nothing. That hurts. How could they do that to me? We feel this way about our clients. How could they do that to me? Don't they know? Can't they see I've struggled? Why won't they pay me? Am I not good enough? Why do they prioritize someone over me? And you keep asking yourself these questions. But at the end of the day, the buck stops with you. And what are you willing to tolerate? What are you willing to accept? 
You're not a starving artist anymore. You're the CEO of your business. And I want you to step into that. I want you to step into your limelight because you deserve it. And I know you've got it in you to ask to be paid what you deserve. And I know you've got it in you to ask to be paid at all. It's it's there, okay? You just got to trust yourself and back yourself. Write down the things that you're struggling with in your business, what you're afraid to ask for, what you're afraid to receive. Maybe think about why that is. Think back to, you know, it could be your childhood, could be in your in your relationship, it could be an incident that occurred with your parents. You know, it could just be that your parents were frugal and didn't let you spend and they all and made or maybe you grew up in an environment where money was bad, you know, rich people are evil, you know, all that stuff. You gotta let it go. You gotta find pinpoint what it is, what your core beliefs are around money. How is that being reflected in your business today? What do you want to see change in? And then what can you do to make the change? Do you need a coaching call? Do you need to sit down? You know, I'm available. Reach out to me. Like I said, link, you know, links in bio there. My email's in the bio, in the description, whatever it's called. Link in bio. God, I've been on Instagram for too long because I've just come off my launch for talent management bootcamp. There's no link in bio here. But, you know, well, there is in my Instagram, actually, if you want to book a discovery call with me and and, and, and that's free and, and you can sit down within 15 minutes and find out, you know, um, you know, how we can move the needle in your business. But like my point is, do you need coaching? Do you need to read a book? You know, read Profit First, for example. That's That doesn't cost much. It's a few bucks. Buy it. Profit First, the book. Do you need to um, just do some meditation? Do you need to work on your mindset? Like what do you need to do? Make a decision and move forward with this because I believe in you. It took me years too long. I had people walk all over me, business partners, you name it. I've been walked on, taken advantage of. I've had people rob me. I've had an ex-business partner literally take thousands of dollars of stuff from me and I let them get away with it because I didn't value myself. I didn't believe that I deserved better. But I do now and I don't tolerate it. Not from team, not from myself and not from my clients. There are days that are harder than others. There are days you will doubt yourself and I go through this too. Be kind and go back to what your goal is. When you, you know, if you've written down what did you want to shift and why do you want to shift this? What change do you want to see in your life? Come back to that whenever you have those moments. You can rely on team. If you're not brave enough to make that phone call and you've got an admin person, get them to make the phone call. Make up an alias, an email alias, accounts at xyzstudios.com and make up a name. Hey, it's John here from accounts. Could be you. I've heard people do that. Who cares? Do whatever you got to do to move past this right now and then you can do it yourself. But yeah, I just want you to back yourself. I want you to get paid. I want you to get what you deserve. All right, I've got to run. I've got to run. But I, I, I'm I'm sending all of my love vibes. Uh, like starving artists be gone. You're too old for that, right? <laughs> if you run a studio, you're too old for that. We need to move on, okay? We need to move on. And, um, yeah, just stop being the, the, the 15-year-old person in that audition room like I was. Stop being the 20-year-old begging to for the job like I was. 
Stop being the 30-year-old begging your clients to pay you like I was. Stop being the 60-year-old who's not paying yourself a wage, who's not paying yourself superannuation, retirement funds. Come on, come on. You've got this. You've got this. I know you've got this. And if you need help, DM me on Instagram, reach out to me, tell me your story. I'm here for it, man. I'm so here for it. All right. Lots of love. And again, um, yeah, like I said, the book, um, it's available on my website. It's available on Amazon. Yeah, sure. You can get it cheaper or you can get a signed copy from me uh, on my website and you'll, yeah, check it out in the notes. All right. Take care. If you enjoyed listening and would like to hear more, be sure to click subscribe. If you're really feeling the love, share us with your friends. To work with me or to simply find out more about the magic of creativity, arts and business, head to my website, josephinelancuba.com and you can find me on socials. I also have a book that I've co-written with a bunch of amazing entrepreneurial women called The Women Changing the World. And you can grab a copy of that at josephinelancuba.com forward slash books. Thanks for listening.